We're continuing our series on the book of Jonah. And I think uh, Brittany actually got us to a good start when she uh, questioned whether Jonah might be the worst missionary ever. Because we know from Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, that the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has confronted me. And we know what Jonah did. He didn't obey the Lord. He went in the exact opposite direction. And so maybe he was the worst missionary ever, except that Jesus told his church in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. So in that sense, we all are missionaries, and we have to ask ourselves, are we a better missionary than Jonah? Or are we even worse than he was? And certainly Jonah had his issues, and we're going to find out even more issues that Jonah had. But today is a time for us to evaluate our own lives because we are all missionaries, and we should go out. We should get up and go and share the gospel with a lost world. And as we look at the experience of Jonah, we find that through his experience, we can find several reasons why we should get up and go and share the gospel with a lost world. And the first one is found in that first chapter. I know the pastor covered this already, but there's a little bit I'd like to stress that maybe he didn't cover as thoroughly as I would have liked. And so the first reason that we should get up and go share the gospel is because God has spoken and we fear him. Now, I know fearing the Lord is uh, not something that's very popular this, these days. We like to have a nice, comfortable faith, but uh, the Bible teaches a faith that doesn't allow us to be comfortable all that time. You remember that uh, when the storm came up, the sailors questioned him and he said, in uh, verse 9, I think, of chapter 1, he said, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, who made the sea and the dry land. Now, most translations read, I worship Yahweh, or I worship the Lord, or maybe I reverence the Lord, or Yahweh. But actually, the word is literally fear. And the reason they translate it worship or reverence or something like that is because Jonah doesn't seem to be very much afraid of God at all. In fact, he seems to be almost fearless. When he gets that call from God, if he was afraid of God, he probably would have uh, obeyed God. Instead, he runs in the opposite direction from the God who made the sea and the dry land. How could he think he could possibly escape? And then when the storm came up, where was he? He was sound asleep, oblivious to the danger. And then even when he was woken, confronted, and even admit that he was the reason for the storm, 
he still did not fear God enough to obey. He seems fearless, courageous even. Throw me into the sea and the sea will become quiet for you. And so Jonah is fearless. He really doesn't fear his God. He says he's a worshiper of God. He says he fears God, but he really doesn't fear God enough. On the other hand, you have the sailors. And we know that when that storm came up, they were afraid. They were trying to do everything they could to save themselves, and they confronted Jonah. Jonah reveals that he is the cause of their problem, and this confounds them. They don't understand it, and they're even more terrified because they're in a quandary now. What do we do? Do we throw him overboard? Well, if we kill God's prophet, what's going to happen to us? And so they do everything they can to save themselves without killing Jonah, but then they just have to throw up their hands and say, there's nothing we can do, let's throw him overboard. And they just ask God for mercy for killing his prophet, but then the storm becomes quiet, and what happens? They're even more terrified of this God who controls the sea and the dry land. And so I would suggest to you that these pagan sailors are a better example for us to follow than the prophet Jonah. We should not just say that we worship the Lord, but we should truly fear the Lord and do what he says. As we look at the prophets in the Old Testament, some of them struggled with their call. One of those was Moses, right? He made all kinds of excuses why he shouldn't go back to Egypt. But, you know, God did not take no for an answer from Moses or any of the other prophets, and not even Jonah. He didn't take no for an answer. Uh, the prophet Amos, one of my favorites, he had a difficult prophetic ministry. Uh, but uh, he had a good understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. He says, the lion has roared, who will not fear? God has spoken who can but prophesy? He realized that he didn't have a choice. And we also should have a healthy fear of our God. God has commissioned us as his missionaries to get up and go share the gospel. And we should do it uh, in part, I know it's not the best reason, but in part because we worship, we respect we fear our God. We should also get up and go share the gospel because we have experienced God's grace and are grateful for that experience. And so we look at the prophet Jonah again and we see that uh, in the second chapter he is now in the belly of the fish. That's not a very pleasant environment, I'm sure, but actually that's God's means of grace. And Jonah recognized that as he's praying and even worshiping the Lord from the belly of the fish, he expresses great surprise that God would even listen to his prayer, but God has listened and answered by delivering him from drowning in the sea. Uh, he talks about how uh, he, as he's struggling in the water, felt like he had been banished from God's sight. But then he exclaims that I will once again be able to worship God in his temple. And then as he's near drowning, he, uh, he feels like the bars of this world have closed against him forever. But then he says, Lord, you have lifted me out of the grave. 
God has delivered him from death. He's experienced God's grace in his life. And then in uh, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, Those who cling to worthless idols forsake faithful love. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. He says, I will fulfill what I have vowed. What do you think he vowed while he was in the belly of the fish? He vowed that he would go to Nineveh this time. And in fact, that's exactly what he does out after the fish spits him up. And why did he do that? He says, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. He is thankful. Why is he thankful? Salvation is from the Lord. He is thankful because the Lord has graciously saved him, even though he didn't deserve it. Most of us are Christians. We've experienced God's gracious salvation. I know that was probably a long time ago for many of us. And sometimes as time passes in our Christian's life, we lose the zeal for sharing the gospel. But actually, God's grace continues to be manifest within our life. God continues to deal with us graciously. And that graciousness should move us to gratitude, should move us to share the gospel with others. I think about my own life, those early years as a missionary, uh, well, even before then. I was convinced I'd never get out of school. I, I was in the graduate program for six years. I couldn't get past the dissertation. I had given up, but somehow the Lord enabled me to finish. Uh, we didn't look like we were going to be able to go to Malaysia. Everybody around us was saying, it's impossible, look for other of opportunities. But God got us into Malaysia by his grace. A few years ago, my daughter Rihanna had breast cancer. Now she's cancer-free by God's grace. My wife had a tumor the size of a golf ball in her head, and now she's fine. And I thank God for that. I'm grateful for that. And these are manifestations of God's grace that make me want to obey God because he has been so good to me. And we should get up and go share the gospel because we've experienced God's grace again and again, and we are grateful. We should get up and go share the gospel because many are lost and hungry for a word from God. You know... Marsha and I, before we went to the mission field, we went to the, uh, then it was called the Missionary Learning Center, now it's called the International Learning Center, no, the, yeah, well, anyway, whatever it's called now, uh, and they taught us how to be good missionaries, they taught us how to do cross-cultural missions, because it's not easy to cross cultures and share the gospel with people, especially if they've never heard it before and don't have a background. And uh, so as I'm looking at Jonah's strategy, I'm saying, yeah, maybe he is the worst missionary ever because uh, his strategy really wasn't very good. I wouldn't have approached it the same way at all if I was going to Nineveh because look at what he did. 
Uh, he went to the city. It's a big city. Uh, crossing it takes three days. And so he goes in one day and settles down, and he just says eight words. Just 40 days and Nineveh will be destroyed. That's like, you know, taking the Campus Crusades four spiritual laws, giving them one law, and letting them figure out the, the other three. That's not going to work too well normally, right? And so uh, he just left it at that, left the city, waited to see what God was going to do. But he didn't do much uh, to spread the, the, the news. He didn't do much in his missionary efforts. And yet the response of the people is incredibly dramatic. And so in uh, chapter 3, verse 5, it says, The men of, Nineveh, men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. In fact, that's exactly what the story describes. It describes the response of the king. He's the greatest, right? And uh, so when the king heard about this message, he took off his royal robe and put on sackcloth. He uh, got off his royal throne and sat in ashes. He proclaimed a fast for everyone in the land. Not even the animals could eat. And the least, well, even the animals, the cattle, participated in the fast and the mourning. They were wearing sackcloth as well. So everyone fasted and mourned and were crying out to God for his mercy. And God, in his mercy, saved the city. Pretty dramatic. They must have been really hungry for a, from, for a word from God. And certainly they were, and they responded to it. Uh, we have a missionary uh, who spent a lot of time in China. About 12 years ago, he was living in Linyi, China, in, in the northeast of China. And he was asked by a church member, his name is John Latham, he was asked by a church member to go to uh, visit her husband. And he was a little reluctant to do this because he had heard that her husband had gangster affiliations and was a very fierce man. And so he was reluctant to go uh, visit Wei Jim Bao, uh, but he went anyway, and something clicked between them. And it wasn't, uh, you know, Wei Jim Bao almost immediately accepted the gospel, and it wasn't long before he was feeling the call of God into ministry. And he started to study at our seminary in Qingdao, and uh, he graduated, uh, went into a master's program, and uh, graduated from that. Right now, he's in a uh, doctoral program, and he's serving as the administrator of our seminary in Qingdao. And when he graduates, he's going to be our first Chinese president of that seminary in Qingdao. It's amazing what God has done in his life. And you wouldn't have expected it from looking at him, but he responded to the gospel because he was hungry for a word from God. And Jin Biao is not the only one out there that is hungry for a word from God. You just look around us. There are people that are hurting and in need. And they need a word from God, even though they may not even realize they need a word from God. When they hear it, 
They can easily respond and their lives can be transformed by that experience. And so we should get up and go share the gospel because there's a lost world out there that's hungry for a word from our God. One final reason, we should get up and go share the gospel because we share God's love for a lost world. We share God's love for a lost world. Well, this comes from the fourth chapter, obviously, of the book of Jonah. And in the fourth chapter, uh, uh, Jonah has left the city. He's camped out outside the city. He's looking at the city. He is still hoping that God is going to destroy Nineveh. Something's wrong there with Jonah, obviously. And then God causes this plant to grow up over him to give him some shade. But then God kills the plant. Now, Jonah is an extremely angry man at this point. He's angry because God did not destroy Nineveh, and he is even more angry because God destroyed the plant. So he's more concerned about the plant, or really, let's get behind the plant, he's more concerned about his comfort than he is concerned about people. God asks him, is it right for you to be angry like this? And he says, yeah. I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. That's how angry he is. Certainly, he's got some misplaced values. As we see in the final verses, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 4, so the Lord said, you cared about the plants which you did not labor over and did not grow, It appeared in a night and perished in a night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish their right and left, their left, as well as many animals? That's a rhetorical question, obviously, in a sense. Uh, But uh, certainly, God is totally justified in caring about the city of Nineveh. And What is also true is that Jonah should care about the city of Nineveh because that's what his God cares about. Instead, he's concerned about his own comfort rather than lost people. There's something wrong with his values. He's a horrible missionary, isn't he? Well, uh, I'd like to use Martian myself as a good example here, but... We're not the best example around. Uh, So, uh, to our credit, when God called us to go to Malaysia, we read the description of the environment in Malaysia. We were going to live out in the island of Penang in open-air housing. We interpret that as grass hut. Now, when we moved to Malaysia, it turned out to be a colonial-era bungalow with good ventilation. Uh, So it was a nice place to live. And we lived there for, I think, 13 years. And then we moved into apartments. The last apartment we lived in, we lived on the 15th floor with a balcony overlooking the sea. It had two swimming pools and a slide and uh, a fully equipped gymnasium with a sauna. 
Uh, so it was quite luxurious. I mean, I hate to admit that, but that was our life in Penang. So we didn't suffer all that much. Uh, we were pretty comfortable in Penang. Uh, let me give you another example. And so uh, while we were there, members of our church gave their lives to missions. Um, Candace and Patrick Chia, sweet couple, very successful, especially Candace was really high up in Maybank, right? And, uh, and uh, so uh, they gave their lives to missions. They quit their jobs. They sold their apartment. Uh, they went and studied in the U.S. for five years, and they went with New Tribes missions. So they were going to go and be posted in a place where uh, they were living in grass huts. They had two children, and they took them along with them. Three children. I'm sorry, three. One was a bit older than the others, though. And uh, so uh, they went through all that education. Then they were posted to East Kalimantan on the island of Borneo, and they were really roughing it out there. And now that's what real missionaries do. That's the kind of sacrifices there. But, you know, not all missionaries have to give up all the comforts of home uh, like we didn't have to. And you don't have to give up all those comforts, but it is going to be uncomfortable for you to get up and go share the gospel. And yet that's what God wants you to do, and that's what you should do because you share his love for a lost world. Well, I'd like to raise that question in conclusion again. Is Jonah the worst missionary ever? Well, maybe. I mean, obviously, he had a lot of issues. But actually, an argument could be made that Jonah was the best missionary ever. After all, God used him to save the great city of Nineveh with all his faults and failings. Jonah was used by God in a powerful way. And that speaks to me about us. We have our faults, our failings. Maybe we've not been the best missionaries that we could have been in the past but that doesn't mean it needs to stay that way. I mean, we don't need to necessarily go and, you know, take people through a complicated uh, plan of salvation. We can just tell them what God is doing in our lives. Or we can go out and help someone who is in need or in trouble. Uh, show them the love of God and give God the glory for what we are doing. And that will be a testimony to them. God can use us to share the gospel, but we need to get up and go. We need to get up and go. We need to get up and go. That's the hard part, isn't it? Really getting beyond that uh, inertia and really starting to move out. And maybe these motivations that have been revealed to us in the book of Jonah can help us to do this. We need to get up and go share the gospel because God has spoken 
and we fear him. We need to get up and go share the gospel because we've experienced God's grace and we're grateful. We need to get up and go share the gospel because we realize there are many people out there that are hungry for a word from God. We need to get up and go share the gospel because we share God's love for a lost world. Let's join together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we get up and go from this place, that we will share the gospel. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would touch our lives, make us fruitful, and encourage us even more to share your word. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Jonah and what you did through him. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do through us. In Jesus' name we pray.